Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my guest today is Dr. Jessica Webster. She's a renowned artist. She has a, a PhD in philosophy and she is a survivor. Before we start, I would like to thank Tabor, DJ, Craig and Bussy for keeping us on air. You are all great. And of course, Kathy Kayla, our CEO, who always gives us so much support. Um, today, we actually want to dedicate this program to Linda Goodman Gibbon, who died very unexpectedly at the age of 84. Jessica, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. Good to be um, back. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you back. Jess was on my program in 2017 and I think 2016 and 2018. And if you would like to hear her previous podcast, please go on to uh, Finding Human Podcasts, High FM, and you, there's a whole list of the last few years, and you just look up Jessica Webster and you'll see her there. She's, it's really worth listening to her. Jess, I believe you went to um, Linda uh, Goodman's um, Gibbon, yeah. Gib yeah, her memorial service. Tell me a bit about that. Um, it was absolutely wonderful. I was felt so honoured to be invited. Um, Did you know her well? I, you know, I've, I didn't know her well. She was, I kind of skipped her by just less than a half a generation, but not so long ago I did go to her house and had tea and um, to meet her and um, she wanted to meet me. And uh, she talked to me about Marina and Brava McCuse, one of her favorite artists, and um, gave me a Marina and Brava Mc DVD and sent me home to go watch it and come back to her and report back on, on my thoughts. And I must say, I, uh, Marina and Brava Mc is a performance artist. So as a painter, I hadn't ever, you know, everybody knows if you're in the arts, Marina and Brava Mc. But um, after watching that DVD and spoken to Linda, um, I have an entirely different way of looking at this artist who is really quite profound. And I must say, I think she'll always be associated with Linda Givon in my mind. And I think the thing about Linda Givon, and this is what came across at the memorial at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, um, was that everything she touches was she left a trace of her spirit and who she is. Um, and this is on artists' work. This is on people's experience, um, their life experience. I think she changed people's lives and she affected the art industry, um, you know, profoundly. Um, so while I had limited contact with her, she was always lovely to me um, and came and gave me hugs. Um, what came through is that she treated everybody um, with very special respect. Um, so yeah, it was marvelous to be there and to to hear all about her life. 
Well, then I'm so pleased we can dedicate this program to her. Mm. Our topic today is mm. Find the River. And in the artist's way, Julia Cameron, um, no, I don't know if you've read her book, The Artist's Way, she says, mm. Be- begun to hope, yet feared hope, a sense of movement, a change in our lives. This current, this river, is a flow of grace, moving us to our, our right livelihood, companion, and destiny. Now, when you think of your art, Jess, mm-hmm. how do you, do you believe it is something that is moving you towards your destiny? Oh, it's so hard to know with art. Art is such a strange career choice. Very true, and that's as well. Um, whereas it's not very a uh, work choice that sits that feeds into how you experience life outside of that, but is very much your entire life. <laughs> and I think in the terms of mimicking life, what you do find, it's those trials and tribulations. And I think you can flow with the river. You've got to decide what kind of uh, fish you are. Um, and I think that is the artist's way. It's never, it's never a natural process. Although I love that book. Um, I must say, as it's, as I go further, I understand the complexity and the kind of uh, challenges um, with deciding when to go with the flow and when to, to swim upstream to other pastures. <laughs> well, then you would agree with what Seneca said. It is not because yeah. things are difficult that we do not dare. It is because we do not dare that they are difficult. Sure, yeah, I mean, they're both difficult. I think, um, and now I don't have a saying on hand, and I should have, but I love a lot, a lot of the sayings of Rainer Maria Rilke, oh, who yeah. had a lot of very dire things to say about life, and I think um, <laughs> whether you dare or not, things are going to present a challenge, and you've got to decide which one you'd prefer to to, to live with. Um, and I think that's my, my artist process over the past three years, since I think I spoke to you, about my work uh, two years ago. Um, my artist process since then has been about uh, the daring um, and the challenge of daring and the challenge of deciding to swim upstream. Um, and I've actually I've popped out the other side. I certainly have reached the, the level at which I was hoping to. I'm, I'm very pleased with it, but I must say I'm more exhausted um and the kind of sense of achievement has yet to kind of seep in and become a part of my what aura of aura of daily experience. You know, yeah. Jess, can we go? Because listening to you, I'm always absolutely astounded at how you have overcome such trauma. And mm. I would like you, please. Uh, we have a lot of new listeners every day, so some people. Mm not heard your story could you tell us a bit about the fact that you are a survivor of a very traumatic violent attack for sure so in 2006 which is at 14 years ago I was um, shot in an armed robbery and and I was at my parents had a holiday home on the south coast and I was there with an our ex-boyfriend and uh, three young, very, very young men ran in with guns and shot us. Um, and he, he survived and he's okay. But unfortunately, I was shot and the bullet hit my spine. 
um, and I've suffered, well, what's called incomplete paraplegia since then. Um, but I am more or less in a wheelchair and I can walk with crutches uh, for short distances. So a lot of my artistic, I was already an artist before that. I'd been at Michaelis and I'd done very well at Michaelis and graduated there and it was the following year that I was shot. So I simply continued with my artistic career but um, and went straight into my master's and from my master's into my PhD. But um, it's very obviously my, my process as an artist has been profoundly affected by uh, what has happened and especially my early work uh, was kind of replete with traumatic subjects um, and actually the challenge for me was to think outside of my trauma for this body of work and, and I think there's an interesting tension there because painting um, and exploring my traumatic feelings is very much going with the flow and it brings me peace. I think, you know, there's that term called sublimation. I wonder if Victor Frank talks about sublimation, mm-hmm. um, where my traumatic feelings of rage and grief filter through into my work. Um, and now I decided the work I wanted to bring some humor and irony in for intellectual reasons and for what I'm talking about with my work. And also I just... I wanted to see, am I capable of lightness? Um, <laughs> and I think that was where the conflict came because with the frustrations of being in a wheelchair and the pain, I live with um, physical pain um, and this, the daily struggle really, uh, that no longer really had its outlet in my art. And I must say, it, I think that created a bit of a clash. So you now we're going have to get back to that clash. Just hold that right. thought for a moment. Okay, sure. Thank you, um, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Back with Dr. Jessica Webster, and we are talking about the trauma that she had when she was badly, uh, severely attacked and left partially paralyzed. And we are, she was busy talking about that when we had to go to advert. If you would like to SMS us, please do so on 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. Thank you, Jess. I'm sorry, but you were in the middle of talking. Well, uh, we're talking about that tension between what art does personally and I guess the tension is between, you know, what you're wanting to communicate and and what art does for you on a personal, private level. And, um, you know, I want to communicate different ways, in different ways with my audience. And um, meanwhile, what is very soothing to me is to uh, express my traumatic or Frustrated, frustrated feelings through my art. Now, what I'm very pleased about over the last three years um, is I decided to go with lightness and irony and humor and color, bright color. And it was an enormous fight um, to the death um, 
Almost. Basically, I got ended up at the end of last year with the show almost ready, but incredibly sick. I actually ended up in hospital. But uh, I just, um, I have now developed a language of color that I can now bring in to my work. So there was a way in which swimming upstream and fighting the river and to get what I want um, has its benefits. Um, but there are sacrifices to that, you know, in, in one way. Um, maybe I pushed too hard. My health has been bad. But um, I've certainly achieved the, the things that I wanted in terms of my art. <laughs> um, so I think that's I'm sure there are sacrifices that you make because of that. I mean, your art, I, I, was, watch, I was looking um, at the Goodman Gallery of your latest artwork, A Horse With No Name, the most magnificent art and colors and, wow, huge pieces, Jess. I couldn't mm, believe yes. them. So what a lot of energy you put in there. And mm. when you say that a few things had to give in your life, I should imagine a lot had to give in your life to get that exhibition done. And yes. 2020, and you were ill. Yes, then, I mean, what a year this has been for everybody. Um, and I feel quite struck, but you know, this, I was sick. I couldn't really leave the house and I spent myself or, you know, a lot of my money and a lot of my, all my energy on my art. So I was at home and ill and broke before everybody else was. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if anything, I felt quite, um, comf you know, uh, this is the, you know, the strange, paradoxical feelings where I felt that everyone else being in the same boat felt uh, comforting at first. I mean, obviously now the effects are, have far exceeded the, you know, my minor situation into things that are affecting everybody in, in very um, dramatic ways, um, especially the poor in South Africa. So I no longer feel any resonance with what's happening. In fact, uh, it's a, you know, it's quite scary. It remains quite scary. But um, I do still find, you know, it's um, for me, my personal journey is that there's this two conflicts happening on my private and public levels. Um, and they they seem to have a relationship with each other. And to me, you know, if we think about making meaning out of these things, to me, um Look, I don't know what the meaning is. It's this is the process I'm I'm in this year. In fact, I would enjoy it if other people could find meaning, help me think about the meaning of that for me. You know, um, and, with and no one can, as you know, no <laughs> one can give you meaning. It's unique to you. Mm. Exactly. Mm. But Jess, you know, you you've you've actually, you know, you, you're making light of it. But in actual mm. fact, I think to have put on an exhibition like this, um, as you say, it took a lot of money, but my gosh, what a lot of absolute dedication. You have a partner, Bobby, uh, in your yeah. life. Do you find that he gives you a lot of support in this? Oh, my goodness. You know, poor Bobby, actually, but um, he does. He's a hero. Um you know, he's really carried me through this process and was just um, always encouraging. Um, you know, he's like a rock, really. Um, 
uh, kind of astounded by his level of support. As I am, uh, you know, I'm profoundly lucky as I always have had fantastic support from family and, and with Bobby. Um, so, and Bobby's also, he's had very hard work on, um, and I'm glad to say that I think I've been there for him too. Um, so it's actually, funnily enough, how the more, um, the trials are healthy for your relationship, um, and build a kind of intensity and a depth and an intimacy that the easy times lack. It's a funny mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> if you allow it, if you actually go the distance, you know, if you're prepared to, to stay, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, uh, Richards, I'm not sure who Richards is. He must be an artist as well because he said, all the arts we practice are apprenticeships. The big art is our life. Hmm. Yeah. I think there is that, you know, there's that continuous kind of mirror relationship between art and life, which is what kind of sets it apart from other career choices or, um, making art. And I saw, so what did, what did I see? But I, it does just the tribulations of your art mirror life. Whether we take those lessons into our life as artists is another story. <laughs> Um, or whether we ex, ex, um, escape into our art as a way of not having to deal with the actual tribulations of art is, is also something that I think a lot of us artists can be guilty of. Um, but I think that there are two, yeah, art and life are two rivers and they run parallel. And I think people who, you don't have to be an artist to experience that. I think you find with your collectors and your appreciators and your viewers, the more you get into it, the more you actually become a part of those, walking those two rivers, you know. Um, and that is the beauty of it. That's why it's so important, um, and especially in 2020. Um, yeah. I find in 2020 that there are a lot of people who are swimming upstream and getting nowhere. <laughs> and, you know, thinking that they can change and blaming whoever they can blame for 2020, not realizing that 2020 is everybody's burden and Mm. everybody's challenge in whatever way. I mean, certainly we don't have the challenge that so many people do have, people living in shacks, people whose work has been taken away from them. We don't have those challenges. But let's face it that everybody is needing to actually flow at the moment to find Mm. some sense of of flow uh, to to actually look at life in with different um, lenses. Do you think so? Yes. Yeah. I think. Oh, I think um, my feeling is we're at a juncture, um, and we've got to decide what our priorities are. And I really hope. I mean, I just think. To me, it's not surprising. You know, this coming about this whole virus isn't a surprise. Um, we've been in a whirlpool. The globe has been in a whirlpool of heading towards some kind of situation. And this is it. Hopefully this is uh, it for now. But we've got to decide, do we carry on on this fast track to where? Nowhere. I don't know where. Where everybody is rushing 
and with the eye on the money and people earning less and less and people work at jobs but it doesn't actually give them enough money to to feed their children um do we keep on relying on supermarkets for all of our produce um which ultimately um you know it makes life difficult for those of us who aren't earning the money who don't have work um, and how are we all going to kind of come together and, and find sustainable ways to live and also ways in which people have autonomy, you know. Um, we're also become so dependent on the state and on institutions to provide everything for us and, and someone else sets the price. Um, and I think, you know, I'm a little bit of a revolutionary, so people might find that I say radical things, but I do think we need to find ways of people having their own agency. And I do think people need land and need to be able to feed themselves in the absence of work. Um, so self-sustainability. Every- yeah, and, and self-reliance. And that we're kind of raised with, you know, isn't it an amazing thought to know that you could? None of us are actually self-reliant and of course we all need our community but communities too need to be self-reliant um and you know i think if anything this is teaching us that i mean i'm not actually an expert i shouldn't talk about it because i have very idealistic views um but but i do in philosophy jessica I do, I do, and I do, uh, while I'm not, um, and a little bit cynical about human nature, I do think we've got to, I mean, I'm actually at the moment organizing an urban garden in free land at my block of flats for all the staff, um, and there's about 40 staff and their family members, uh, people living here, and we're going to build vegetable gardens, and um, I've got my eye on Inner's Free Park, if anybody knows, um who runs in his free park, I think we need to begin an urban garden there as well. So, get hold of um, and let us know. Yes, yes. So I think, um, and I'm hoping everybody's feeling that, that trigger. I think it's just beginning. We feel it's overwhelmed and scared. Mm. Yeah, it's, you've just got to feel that little feeling, that little flutter of what can I do? Something's got to change. We can't live like this. We can't drive past the pain that we do every day. That that actually can sustain you, you know, to have that sort of purpose, that there is something beyond this and there is something that we can do. We are not paralyzed in mm. in any way of not being able, it, whatever way we can, in actually reaching out and making a difference. Mm. Yeah. You know, you once said that... Um, you can't break a person in one of the um, podcasts we had. And do you still believe that, that you can't break a person? No, I do. I think there's a internal – I think you can break a person. I think you can just – as much as you can, you can decide not to be. And I think, you know, psychologists are still figuring out and what makes some people resilient and others not – and there's so many kind of factors from early childhood. But I think if if you've got some very basic foundations, um, you can be unbreakable, that there's a core to your self that no one can take away. 
And I think that's a big thing is even if you can be broken, not, nobody can take you away from you. Um, and I think that's a therapeutic thing for people who have been broken. And I think you can be broken. I think there's, there's limits to all humans. But I think, um, there's a way of healing into an unbreakable place and there's a way of being lucky enough to be unbreakable in the beginning. Um, yes. yes. Uh, I see there's a message that's come through from Israel. It's actually come through from my daughter, Shira. And she says, hi, Jessica and mom. Jess, your courage and creativity inspire me continue, to continue with my own art through pain. And you know what? If you can do that and inspire other people who are, are feeling pain too and yet needing to, to hear, you know, uplifting stories. And certainly I am very proud of Shira because she is creating marvelous things in Israel. Oh, really? Mm. But I'll talk about that yeah. later. But yeah. Jess, um, mm. what I would like to know, uh, I, I did get a message and the message said, um, that this person, it was anonymous, long-term illness, Autoimmune, it sounded like an autoimmune, it sounded like ME or, or something. And she said she carries this burden of guilt all the time towards mm. her siblings and her parents and even the world. Mm. Now, did you ever feel that way? Yes, and I still feel that way. I think it comes with the territory. I, um it's a terrible thing. You know, we all, and I was talking about the poor and feeling a sense of autonomy and a sense of agency. Now, when that's been taken away from you, it's incredibly hard to have to depend on others um, and do so gracefully. In fact, you can't be graceful about it all the time because it's it's difficult. Um, and you do, you, on one hand, you feel very angry, uh, for me, at least I can feel very frustrated with the person who is trying to help me because they're not helping me in the way I would do so for myself. And then you feel that anger and then you feel guilty because they're just trying to help you. And why should they even help you? Sure. What a conflict. It's a, I think, you know, one of the primary big things to deal with when you ha have disability. Um, and I think it's just to know that that is, that's a common thread that runs through our experiences. Um, and it's one we share. Um, and it's okay to feel guilty. I mean, we all walk around with all kinds of guilt, don't we? You know, um, all human beings. And, you know, we all find reasons to feel guilty, no matter what you've done. Um, even the best do-gooders are probably the most guilty, actually. I mean, that's the funny paradox of life. Um, so also know that, you know, your guilt is a human thing, and but it not, it's not necessarily real. And I, I think you must also allow for people to help you because you're, you're going through something very painful and a tragedy. And the people around you are also going through it with you. And if you let them help you in a state of grace and um, a kind of participate in in the helping situation in a graceful way and in a grateful way, um, you're actually helping them deal with what's going on for you. Um, but it isn't easy. And, and that's that. That's the reality. Yeah. 
We'll get back to that in a moment. Thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Um, right now we're going to be listening to a YouTube by Edith Eager on You Cannot Heal What You Cannot Feel. Thank you, Craig. One of the things that I keep saying many, many, many years is that you cannot heal what you don't feel. So it's very important to give yourself permission to feel the feelings. Give yourself permission. That's a big word. To give yourself permission that you can go through the feelings that you don't have to get stuck in it. And, and to give yourself permission to be able to go through the stages of grief, to come to the ultimate, the ultimate, which is the forgiveness. That somehow everything happened in some ways for your greater good. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Dr. Jessica Webster, a renowned artist and a survivor, PhD in philosophy. And what I haven't said is that Jessica is actually related to me. Her her father, Christopher, is my first cousin. So I know that a lot of the family, Jessie's other grandparents, the Bantocks, will be listening in. And um, a lot of her family and my family are listening in right now, so which is great. Um, Jess, what Edith Eager had to say, that you've got to feel in order to heal, you, is so important, um, isn't it? Yes. To allow Look, yourself that. Yes. Look, I mean, I must say, um, and this is due to perhaps my upbringing, I've never had a problem with that. That It's almost a natural state of being, almost uh, feel too much, to be honest. But I see with my partner, it's very easy to, um, and I think it's a problem for men, for men is um, they're told that they have to shut off their feelings. And I must say, in a way, it does make life a little bit simpler if you decide not to feel. But um, obviously, um, other things can can come up um, if you're repressing them. We all know repressing something, it comes up as a monster um, in another way. And often, I think what's very interesting is our feelings are um, not that crazy if you do feel them. They're not they're not such big things if you just let them be. Um, or if you say my rage, and I think um, an anger... Rage is a big one. Anger is so necessary, isn't it? Mm. And to find a way in order to feel it and to express it, um, I actually have been seeing a really nice uh, systems theory psychologist, Ian Lipman. I'm sure he's probably even been on one of your shows before. But he mm-hmm. said... Um, when you know you feel anger, you've got to raise your heart rate, and that was really good advice. Um, I used to just pick up a cigarette, and I stopped smoking last December. <laughs> so, That's probably why you got sick, Jess. It may have been stopping, as you know. Um, I'd actually start. I was sick before that. That's why I stopped. I just thought, <laughs> take away the one. You know, the doctors look at you and they say, "Oh, but you're smoking." That you know. That's why you feel sick. And I thought, well, let's remove the. 
you know, devil in the detail first and then see um, what happens. Um, and I just got more sick, but it might have been from stopping. Um, but uh, anyway, um, he said, raise your heart rate. But I think I'm finding that's an excellent way in which to deal with that on sheets of rage, which feels so unmanageable. And I think for people who do tend to repress it and push it down, I mean, what a, I think, a show of strength. Like, um, I, I'm just not capable of, of repressing my rage or my anger. Although I'm very good at not um, taking it out on anybody. I was going to say, do you project it out, but you don't. Jess, on that note, let's go on to your present um, exhibition that you've just had, A mm. Horse With No Name. Yes. Now, Put a lot into that, and all your art is about feeling and and movement through feeling, expressing trauma. So, mm. in, in that, tell me what you expressed in that particular exhibition with all well, those wonderful artworks. Yes. So, well, it was really um, about new ground in my art. Um, it was about new formal means of creating art. Um, one was which I used a hessian surface. So I used a very rough um, sacking and that I got beautifully stretched over stretches by Winsons Canvas Company. Um, and so to work on something very rough is very difficult in painting. And then I used new materials. So I've always worked with encaustic wax, but now I've developed um, a medium that they don't sell in South Africa. So I had to make it myself called cold wax which is a soft wax that you can put different colors in and you can spread it around like butter. And then it dries over six to eight weeks. Um, it takes to, to dry so that you can move it around. So using these new things, and then as I said before, I uh, introduced bright color to my work, whereas before I, I haven't been much of a colorist. Bright color, almost clashing color. Um and then I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to free myself and use fantastical subjects and have some fun. So towards the end, I couldn't think of a title. There was definitely a stream of subjects running through. There was a strange horses. There were weird fantasy landscapes with funny little rainbows and funny rocks and just strange moments that happened in the paint. Um, funny eyes. And a very good friend towards the end was helping me kind of decide on final things. And he actually said, when I look at this show, I'm reminded of that song by America from, I think it's 1969 even. Um, I've been through the desert with a horse, on a horse with no name. Oh, yes. So it's actually, and because, and it's that, de it's that strange landscape. I think they're talking about being on LSD. There's something like that about being in this show. Um, although you will love this, so I must actually show you, and I'm surprised I didn't think that a friend of my younger sister, Tandy, wrote to her, went to go to the show and wrote this to her afterwards, um, which I was so, this was the best feedback out of everyone, and she forwarded it on to me. She said, the pieces make me think of purgatory. I know that sounds strange, but it's like the torment before happiness begins. In order to be free from pain, you have to go through it. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got to face it first. And I think <laughs> in many ways, Jess, that's any challenge in our lives. Yes. You know, 
got to face it first. A message came through from Judy Erwick this morning from Australia. She said, Jessica is such a talented artist and incredibly courageous. I remember your previous programs very well. Very impressive young woman. So there you are, Jess. That comes through from her. Craig is actually saying that we need to wrap up. But what I wanted to actually say to you, you know, a lot of your work is on, on, you bring in so much and you love nature and you want to incorporate so much in your life and also about uh, caring for others. He keeps saying to me, please wrap up. But years ago, anthropologist Margaret Mead was asked by a student what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in a culture. The student expected Mead to talk about fish hooks or clay pots or grinding stones. But no, Mead said that the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a femur, a thigh bone, that had been broken and then healed. She explained that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger or you can't get to the river for a drink or even hunt for food. You are meat for prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for the bone to heal. A broken leg, femur, that has healed is evidence that someone has taken time to stay with the one who fell, has bound up the wound has carried the person to safety and has tended the person through recovery. Helping someone else through difficulty is where civilization starts. That's what Margaret Mead said. She says, we are at our best when we serve others. Be civilized. Wonderful. That is so true. May we all help one another. Just how would you like to end? Well, it always goes way too quickly, um, but I do. I think that's a great way to end. Um, perhaps, yeah, if we can use, like Linda Givon used to do, is I think her, her life was given over to serving others and making life wonderful for so many people um, and supporting them. So perhaps we can consider how, with all of our own personal special gifts, what way you can help others. And make that uh, something moving forward. Actually bring it from an aspect of your life, just a facet to your life, center it in your life. Thank you so much, Jess. Let's be kind to ourselves and kind to each other. Jess, I will speak to you shortly. We're probably going to news now. Thank you, Craig. Bye.